Hello, everyone. Welcome to JCB Art Studio, Season 6. My name's Joanna. For the first-time listeners, I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child, and in 2024, Spy Girls. Spy Girls will be coming out. Today, I have multi-published author. She's been a very busy, busy author, um, Susan Calder, with me. Susan Calder. She is a Calgary writer who grew up in Montreal, and we're going to talk about Spring Into Danger, her fifth novel, and the fourth book in her Paula Savard mystery series. Susan's short stories and poems have won contests and appeared in numerous magazines and anthologies. She's worked as an insurance claims examiner and served on the boards of the Alexandra Writers Centre Society, the Crime Writers of Canada, and When Words Collide Festival for Readers and Writers. And we are going to talk about that. Susan is a co-chair for Boucheron World Mystery Convention, Calgary 2026. Oh yeah, (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. And like I said, today we're going to talk about her latest Paula Savard mystery, Spring into Danger. Susan, welcome. Hi, Joanne, and thank you for inviting me. We were just, before we got on air, we were talking about glasses. I think every author, writer needs glasses and just (laughs) what our preferences were. Now, Susan, you've been very busy and I understand you've just returned from When Words Collide. How was that? I've been seeing photos on Facebook, and it looked like a wonderful, t- wonderful time. You know, it really, it really was. It's quite an overwhelming ex- experience. It was three days just packed of panels and socializing and all sorts of activities. So it's pretty exhausting. It actually takes it takes place in Calgary, actually about a twenty minute walk from my house. So that part is really convenient. It just happens, and uh, yeah. So it's a. It started in twenty twenty. Uh, 2010 by the Imaginative Fiction Writers Group in Calgary, and but they want they include all genres and they have special guests and presentations and it's just it was great like it's been online for three years now the past three years so this is the first year back and it was really nice to see say familiar faces people I would always run into only at when words collide four years ago it was nice to see them and it was nice to make some new connections which I did. And uh, I and I also was was on some several panels, so that got me back into speaking out in public a little bit, just getting my feet wet again with there then because I've been kind of retired here in home, you know, during COVID. So it was just a great experience. So I'm just stuck, and it will continue next year too. I've already signed up. Sweet. All yeah. right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's really, it's really inexpensive. It's only $60 for the convention weekend and just get yourself to Calgary. And I noticed this year, quite a few writers from out of town were, were there more than I thought. And I think some of them discovered it online and then just decided they'd come for the in-person. Oh, I would love to go to another writing conference. Yeah. The last yeah. one I went to was 2019. And it was the Whistler Writers Festival. Okay, yeah. And that was, that was, it, it, it the energy, the energy yeah. when you're at a and, conference. And when it, when Words Collide really has that energy and that, that buzz and, and everything, which is really fun. Good, good. So tying into your book, um, which is, Okay, I, I there I am going to tie this in. So good, good. Your book, it is set during the pandemic, and uh, you have a blog post about when words collide and the energy and the need to connect with people. And the last year, I was enrolled in the writer studio through offered through Simon Fraser University, and. I met one of the students, um, you know, we would, let's all Zoom, Zoom in Tuesday nights, work on writing, critique each other's writing, learn from our mentor. And so for a year, you're seeing your, your fellow students, you know, through Zoom. And just last Sunday, one of the students contacted me. She was on the island and we met 
And it was so good to meet a fellow student in person, right? And um, we just started talking. Like my spouse asked me, what'd you guys talk about? And I just said, writing. You know, we talked about writing. We talked a little bit about housing, but we also talked about writing. So would you say that um, with writers, and I'm thinking it could be any creative vocation, um, actors, singers, but would you would you say with writers there is an instant connection? Well, you know, I think that's an interesting question. I think that, you know, very soon after you meet another writer, both of you realize that you both want something very similar, no matter what you're writing, whether it's memoir or mystery or literary or anything. You want to tell your story and you want to get it out there and you want to find an audience. And no matter how good you are or bad you are, you all want this. And I think you you recognize that in each other and you understand that this is what you want and maybe that it's something that not other people maybe don't quite understand what what it that need to tell your your story and then of course you often really understand by a certain point the the difficulties of doing this and so i i do think you have that particular thing in common that that uh that can connect you together that you don't you know quite encounter with other people that you know i just wrote that down the need to tell your story yeah yeah definitely Definitely. Yeah. Because I was telling her, now you've also written short stories. Yeah. And, few. I, and uh, I was telling her how during class, I remember telling, because uh, we would submit. And I remember telling them how short stories just make me kind of get anxious. <laughs> because I, I think <laughs> 6,000 words. Oh my yeah. gosh, I've spent 2000 on motivation and internal dialogue. And I just, <laughs> I kind of get caught up and I have to tell myself constantly, write the story, just write the story. And then you edit, right? You rewrite. Um, now there's a reason why I was going, going with this, but what was cool was when Andrea was here, it was neat to tell her I've started writing a short story because she knows how anxious I get when it comes to writing short stories, okay, right? Yeah. 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 So before we go further, I do want to give our listeners a shout out. And that is to the I see you. I see you on my, my maps. I want to give a shout out to in Canada, BC, Alberta, Quebec, Nova Scotia. Thank you for tuning in. And a shout out to Iowa and Vermont. I know there's more out there. I've just changed over to different, uh, different podcasting host, but I see you. See you. Thank you. Now, with your series, your Paula Savard series, and your latest novel, Spring Into Danger, can you give our listeners an idea of who is your heroine? Who is Paula? and what she is dealing with within this latest novel. Yeah, thanks. Well, Paula at this point in the series is 56 years old. She's divorced, but in the first book, she found a new boyfriend who's become her live-in partner. So that's the continuing of her story. She has two grown-up daughters who sometimes cause her difficulties. And <laughs> she has a mother who's getting on in years and worries her too. And uh, so the story st starts at the... April 2020, right? At the during the first lockdown of COVID-19. And so this is just a few months after Paula's last murder case, my third book in the series. And that one, even though she was successful, and actually probably the police think she was very successful and helpful, it, it went a little sideways for her. It went in ways that she didn't like. She it, it terrified her that she put her own family in danger by getting involved in this. And so she's vowed that she's not going to get involved in any more police cases. But at the same time, that's the kind of work she likes. She works, her, her work is that she's an insurance adjuster and uh, she's kind of their outside source on uh, cases that it would involve insurance matters in some way. She gets in there on the insurance angle and finds out things that the police couldn't find out themselves. And she loves doing that. And that's her favorite part of the work. And yet she feels she can't do anymore. So that's the the bind that she finds herself in this situation. On a, on a personal note, 
uh, all her colleagues are working from home. She used to have, a, you know, a very close knit uh, group of workers. So they're working from home. But she's decided rather than work at home, she'll just work in her office because essentially it's her home office. Nobody else is there. And in fact, nobody else is in the building at all, as far as she knows. So she, I like that sort of creepy, isolated feeling of her being in this hundred year old, it's a hundred year old building that it, she finds out is rumored to be haunted and she's working working there on her own. So that's where she is. And in her job before COVID, most of the time she would be out meeting claimants and and uh, police and, and other experts. Like she's on the road most of the time out meeting people. Well, now she's not really doing that. She's meeting them on Zoom at, at most of all. So I do feature a lot of Zoom and Skype and all this. And her boyfriend who'd gone to Europe just before COVID shut down airplanes and everything is stuck over there. So they have to communicate through the story from a distance and she doesn't have him around for support. And she worries about her mother, who's, you know, especially at the start of COVID, we knew that the elderly people were the most susceptible. And so she's got to protect her mother from 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 catching this and everything. So she's in that state as the story starts. Okay. And not a good place. Really. You know, but that's it. That's what we want with our characters. We we don't yeah. want them. If they are yeah. in a good place, we are definitely going to put them in a bad place. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Very and we soon. do that too. We get her yeah. in the worst place. Yeah. Yeah. So what is she facing? Like, what is she, what is happening to her with, I'm just thinking of the listener, because I see this happening, who tunes in six months from now. What is Paula facing with spring into danger in terms of like, if you could give uh, a little summary of, of what she's going to be walking into with your novel Spring Into Danger. You mean the story? Yeah. Okay. She is an insurance adjuster. And uh, so the very first scene of the book, a detective, Mike Vincelli, who she's worked with in all the previous books, comes in and says that uh, he's heard from a psychic who wants Paula to get involved in a break and enter in a bicycle store. And it sounds very much like a routine claim to her, not a dangerous kind. And and she she scoffs at the psychic stuff. She's a very rational down to earth person and she thinks that's kind of ridiculous. So that part doesn't worry her really that that it's come from this other world type thing. And so she decides to take the the claim because also her insurance company is suffering because of low traffic. There's low traffic accidents and that's kind of the bread and butter of her type of insurance is collisions and whiplash and that kind of thing. So so the business her business is in trouble too. And so the, this is work. So she takes on this job and she goes and also it and she really it's too it's a chance to meet people in person because this bicycle company is functioning. It's open. Even though most stores are closed, bicycle stores were allowed to be open during COVID, that lockdown, because uh, they're considered transportation. So she, she goes to this bicycle store and she meets this group of people and becomes very involved in them. And there's not necessarily something too highly suspicious, but as time goes on, things things develop in this case, which makes her think that there's more to it than than meets the eye as, as it is. And so she's doing her work as an insurance adjuster, but at the same time, finding out different sort of questionable things that are going on in this bicycle store. And she stops wearing the scarf with the butterflies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. The scarf with the butterflies is in the psychic prediction. Yes. Yeah. 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 Good. It is through the novel. Yeah. Now you're, I should have worn one, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> now your research you had the opportunity to tour the Calgary Police Headquarters, which I think is fantastic. Um, like, there's just a whole different uh, feeling um, when you get to walk in the footsteps of, of your character. Uh, I worked three months in a bakery, and that's where this short story is coming from, my experience working in the bakery. So how did it feel like? walking into that that police police department the headquarters in Calgary oh it was it was fun and it was just just material you know yeah. like every every space there was just my material for me because i have 
two police, two of my policemen are narrators in this story, which I haven't done before. And they spend a certain amount of them time, their time in headquarters. And so I have portrayed it as I thought police headquarters would look, probably derived from watching TV shows or something like that. Just the setting, right? Just the, yeah. the, the nitty gritty setting. How are their offices set up? And uh, where's their coffee machine? Things like that. Yeah. And I didn't know any of that. And I had made it up. So every little nook and cranny was like uh, material. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was really the exciting part. Yeah. And so I ended up changing. I like the same things could happen in the book, but I ended up changing a lot of the setting. Like, for instance, Calgary Police Headquarters, uh, I knew they had moved from downtown at a certain point, uh, you know, within the last uh, 10, 20 years or so. I didn't, but I didn't know the details of that. It turned out they had bought the building that was owned by Nortel Communications, which went under, and Nortel sold it to uh, the police, and the police then adapted it to to their headquarters and but it doesn't but it looks more like a a fancy office type building fancy suburban office building like when you walked into the major crimes building yeah. uh you go through the reception area and you're into this large atrium space yeah. and uh which we you could picture in a certain kind of office building but i didn't think of that for headquarters with little meeting rooms around the the side and then we went into so, you know, then he took me into where the, the t detectives work, but he couldn't take me into their area because I guess they could be working on yeah. privileged stuff. But we looked in. Well, it turned out they just have cubicles. I, I had given my detective a private office. Well, no, he's in a cubicle now. And he even pointed out that's the cold case room in the corner. And I had had one of my detectives doing cold cases. So now his setting got a little changed. Yeah. Then we went down to the holding cells, which I found had a very creepy atmosphere. Yeah. You're walking along this cement uh, corridor. He said it was probably the former delivery area of Nortel. So it's a little bit more rough to begin with, you might say. And you go into the holding cell area and see how that was like. And I actually did have a scene or two in the holding cells in mine. So some of that got changed, you know, and, yeah. and it just added this freshness of detail to what I was doing. And it was just all an abundance of material and little bits of it. I could work into the story just for interest. Well, and it means so much, like it means so much to the writer. Um, I used to work at the crown council office as a Supreme court assistant. And yeah. I remember the first time now this was back a few years. So things may change. But I remember the first time I saw the inside of a Vic Victoria Police Department police car. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why the back seat is not upholstered. It's just ugly plastic. Okay. Uh, there, yeah. yeah. And, and there's a reason. Just use your imagination, people. Okay. Oh. <laughs> right? Okay. Yes. So yeah. uh, easy for cleanup. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but those things, like you said, it, you know, if you were to, like, I know the times I've Googled for things and it, I'm thinking, no, that's American. You know, mm -hmm. that's American. Yeah. That's what I see on TV. That's not relevant for yeah. our location. Right. Yeah. It's really hard to get those nitty gritty details. Just even all, the internet can give us so much deep, you know, research material, but that kind of thing is, is really hard to get. And sometimes then seeing those things will prompt an idea. Like when you see that plastic back there, it might prompt you an idea for your story that may not be pleasant, but yeah. <laughs> yeah so it can give, it can feed your, your imagination for what's happening there too. So yeah, it's great to see those kind of things, have those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, and I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this question a lot. Um, so bear with me as I'm, I'm probably, I don't know, the next person who asks you this. But I wanted to know why you decided to have this novel take place during the pan pandemic. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, she is writing about a, a, a significant, severe uh, portion of time in our history. 
So tell me, why, 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 why were you motivated to do this? Well, firstly, I think it's a really great question because I think a lot of writers say, I don't want to set it during the pandemic. And a lot of mystery novel writers have told me that they they don't set their stories at a, in a specific time and place. It's more or less any time 21st century. They don't, they don't specify it. But I think I've written all of mine with a very clear year and, and time in mind. In the first three books, it's probably not super obvious. There may be little hints if you were really... It, you know, they hit you or you're looking for it. But in this book, so I finished the first books took place in January 2020, just before the pandemic. So I could write that story as though the pandemic hadn't happened, because as far as I was concerned, living that time, nothing was going to happen of any significance. This was just going to be another flu if it, if it was yeah. anything. So so we could live that way. And actually, I did go back and put a few foreshadowings in before the book was published. but. But it didn't, it had no impact on people's lot. For most people, their lives weren't impacted. But that wasn't so two, three months later. And my next novel would have to take place in spring because I've uh, used the four seasons and spring was the next stop. And I started it, okay, fall 2021. We're still in the pandemic. We're opening up a little, but little, we didn't even know that Omicron was on its way. And, and we didn't know what was going to be next spring. So even to set it next spring with the idea that the pandemic's over, I couldn't see myself doing that because I didn't. And it wasn't totally, that would be now. It, yeah. I could set it this spring, 2023. No, would it be last spring? I don't know. I get my spring. Yeah, yeah that's okay. No, but even, no, no. Yeah. Let's just say, let's say last spring. It Like I traveled, but a lot of people wouldn't leave the country. Like, a, yeah. you know, like it was still there. And so I couldn't foresee the future of what it was going to be like after COVID. And even now, the impacts are still with us. And uh, uh, well, first, my first thing is that I had I had a feeling that I wanted to write during this beginning phase of the pro pandemic. It was almost nostalgic by then. It was such an extense period that so much had happened and changed in that year and a half that looking back to those that initial thing when it was all new for us and we were afraid and we were locked down it was almost like a a nostalgia in a maybe bad way but a way of processing yeah that i was ready you know that soon afterwards to to process it is one thing and in terms of like recording a place and time in history i feel it's like world war 1 or world war 2 that those were intense experiences and uh, Stories written during that are ways of portraying what happened to people during that time and, you know, which will have repercussions in, in the future. So that's how I felt about it. I really, really simply what you said in a certain sense to to record that time and place and how people were living at the time. But in the but in the framework of an entertaining story. Yeah, I yeah. get it. I get it. Because. With Spy Girls. It's it's not during the pandemic. Like that's coming out next year. It's I bet guess you could say after. And my character is dealing with a legal case as a result of something that happened during the pandemic. And it was just yeah. it was something which struck me very hard. And I thought, no, I've I've got I've got to, you know, take this incident and fictionalize it. And that is kind of the, um, it's one little nugget of, of what it, so I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What I'm wondering is in terms of writing and thinking of your novel, Spring Into Danger, what do you like? You like you're a prolific author, prolific writer. Is there anything that you'd like the best about writing? Uh, is it like dialogue? Is it setting? Is, like, what is that uh, that carrot that that gets you excited when it comes to to writing? Dialogue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you could tell or not from my reading my, reading my books, but that's what I like best. And so when and it comes easier to me. And when I'm writing the first draft, it'll often be a bit short on details and, and descriptions and things like that. It's a little, it's a thinner, you know, I just, because the, for me, the dialogue uh, gets out the story. The story yeah. happens mostly through the dialogue. And so 
that would be my first draft and it would be very, very heavy in dialogue. And then in the second draft, I flesh it out with all the other descriptions and the details. And sometimes they take me a lot more work just to do a smaller space because I feel it's not, it doesn't come as e easily to me. So, so that's how, how I write. I do the same. Um, yeah. Like I was last night when I was looking over my, you know, doing rewrites with this short story, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, Joe, you've got a lot of dialogue in here. Like it's yeah. just dialogue and it's, but I'm like, that's okay. This is my process. Yeah. And yeah. I find with the novels, it's the dialogue that's coming first, you yeah. know, and I have, I have uh, written a chapter where I'll say, let's say in a few things about, okay, she's here, need to, and literally I'll say, need yeah. to expand this location in description yeah. and then boom, I'm in the dialogue, right? Just to kind of almost like get the story out or discover the story, I guess, right? Yeah, I've started doing that too in, in the in Spring Into Danger and, and now the current one that I started is that, you know, I write my dialogue scene and maybe I'll have a little note needs more atmosphere or needs yeah. more emotion or, but I don't want to pause and put it in yeah. right now, you know? Too. Yeah. So I've got little notes to myself. That's how my feeling is when I'm writing, it needs more of this. And then when I go back and, and revise and I, and if I still agree with how I felt initially, that's what I'll do. I'll try to add some emotion or add some description or something like that. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Eh? So I want to, uh, I don't want to lose this. You had, I'm just catching something you had said where you said you write the four seasons. So well, for my title, yeah, each, each story is set in a different, in, in one of the seasons in Calgary. So my first one was a deadly fall and it was set, set in September of the year. And then, uh, spring, I know summer was summer came next. I don't do yeah. them in order necessarily. Yeah. 10 Days in Summer, which takes place during the Calgary Stampede. And then the last one was Winter's Rage. So I'm just setting it in the four. It really came about because uh, my first book, I was looking for a title and I ended up with just using fall in the in the title as both because fall is a nice metaphorical thing and it took yeah. place in fall. And then I just went with the seasons. And uh, it is a good way to, at least it shows your where you live in its four at different times of the year to give a different impression, you know, feeling of the place since I'm trying to portray Calgary and, yeah. and it's different in summer and winter. So, yeah. so that's where, that's why I knew, I knew spring would be the next one. Yeah. Cool. And I, and then I have to come up with the title of spring in the uh, title too. And uh, that really stopped me strangely, you know, and uh, yeah. at my book and I had to, I had a different working title. You know, I called it Spring Thaw for the longest time. That was going to be my, 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 that was my working title. And my book launch, I had a little contest. It was online book launch. So people could put it in chat, like suggest titles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and because that was going to be, you know, I was hoping someone would give me a better one. And uh, some people had some good ones and, and I still like Spring Thaw better, but then I looked back at the suggestions and, uh, I didn't use any of the exact ones, but suddenly the idea of spring into danger came into my into my head as the title. And I do like it as the title for this book, because as I was saying earlier, what Paula really wants to do in the story start is void danger. Yeah. And for her, it's altruistic, mainly, you know, to protect her, her mother and her children and everything like that. But she does, of course, because that's what happens in books. Yeah. And so I, I, I really do like the title for this book. Excellent. But it took me, I didn't get it probably till the second or third draft. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking now if I was to do the seasons in BC, I think it would be yeah. rain, 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 <laughs> yeah. spring, summer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rain, rain, and rain. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, in Calgary, we have, a, you know, we have a, a particular problem is we can have any season, any time of the year. Yeah. So I got a, I got a big blizzard in May here in my, uh, I think it's May 1st or something like that. And my, cause that's very common in Calgary. Where in BC, we're told not to, but in late March, people are, are gardening. People are wanting to plant flowers. Oh yeah. I don't, I believe yeah, yeah. We hear about the daffodil count in February. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So was there, 
any moment during the writing of Spring into Danger that you sat back and thought, well, I didn't see that coming, <laughs> you know, whether it was with a character or, you know, some other revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really like that kind of thing that happens in writing. And I and I don't heavily plan my stories out ahead of yeah. time. So that comes happens quite frequently. But I can think of an example and it won't spoil the the mystery or anything yeah. the, the, to you. Now I'd mentioned this this character, Mike, who is my detective and is a point of view character in this story. And so I wrote a scene where he had to go and interview a witness and I felt he should be taking along a partner to do it, a police partner. So I just threw in this generic character who I didn't expect to have any role in the story at all and uh, went through the scenes of interviewing. And I and I felt that the scene was very flat, like there was no pizzazz to it. This character had no personality. He's a cameo in there, but all he's doing is taking up space in a certain sense. He's not contributing anything to the book and he's not going to appear again. And I went back and I thought, well, how about if I just try making him a female just just to see what happens? And, and so I did. And to my surprise, sparks just flew between her and Mike. And I had no intention of giving him a romance in the story at all. And so I realized she she could have she made an appearance earlier in the book. I had a female detective in there. I could make it her. And I continued her in the story. And she actually became a highly significant secondary character in the book. And especially in terms of his growth and character change in the story. And uh, it was also fun to have a romantic subplot. Yeah. So that really that I like I just totally did not see that one coming. That's cool. And yeah. I think that's what I love about writing. Um, my experience was, well, the one I can think of it like right off the hand offhand is because I've just been going through uh, multiple rewrites and down to the nitty gritty final like copy edit type rewrites. And one thing my editor said, and I'm not giving anything away, is I have one character who gets out of jail after he was charged with manslaughter for killing, like I didn't have this, this person didn't have a name. I didn't want to give the victim a name. What the character did, this manslaughter was part to show his character. Okay. But she kept saying, okay, do we ever find out why he was charged with manslaughter? You know, why do we, do we ever? And I'm thinking, no, 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 it's not important. It's not right. Yeah. It's not important. Do we ever find out who this, and I'm like thinking, no, I already have a lot of names in the book. Right. And so then I thought, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to call him the electrician. The electrician is the one who gets murdered. Okay. And then uh, it was weird because she kept pointing out, you know, that this this individual, this individual who was a victim, and it was blew my mind. <laughs> like I, at some point, I'm thinking the tank is empty. The tank <laughs> is empty with my creative creativity right now. You know, this is going on to about two and a half years. My tank is empty, and then whether it was a walk or it was thinking about yeah, this electrician, and and, and it, I manage to tie in um, motivations for the two other main characters with this electrician. And it's that, I don't know whether you would call it a eureka moment, but like you said, with yes. your character, you, she yes. he became female and then there's sparks. And yes. I was just like, whoa, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> whoa, okay. You know, like, yeah. and, yeah. and that is, I, I God, that is that is a drug. That feeling, when yeah. it just kind of all, boom, and you're just like, okay, all right. I'm glad I asked you that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it fun. is. It is such a great feeling, right? And you're yeah, just, yeah. And you're, okay. So, did you find, or do you find, the more novels you write, and how it long it writes? That you have, uh, I'm finding this with myself, that you have like almost like a greater respect for the process. Um, I'm thinking of the commitment, because uh, my husband and I were talking about this, the commitment 
when a writer sits down and starts writing a story. Like I said, I am retired, Susan, and it has taken me longer to write Spy Girls than when I worked full time. Uh, I think of the, now I don't know whether it's because I'm being harder on myself, but I think of the, I've deleted thousands of words. I've deleted scenes. I've, I've saved them, but they're in another document. I have taken out a particular storyline, but I also, instead of looking at it in a negative sense, I'm, I respect it as this is the process of writing. It, what, what, what is, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, I've certainly in lots of books, like taken out lot, you know, a lot of words and that. And I'm sure that, you know, if, it's, if you look between the first draft and the last draft, often, if you took it word for word, a lot is, you know, a lot would not be there from the first. And I think I just have to accept that you just have to dispose of anything that that doesn't work despite the effort and, and hope that at least the effort of trying it uh, did, you know, did do you know, was uh, helpful in some way, even if you don't directly use the material, at least it was an exercise and uh, you just have to get it right. And that's it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is a big commitment. And uh, I think when you're retired there, well, when you're working too, you don't have the time to, but you have to, you really have to decide I'm, I'm going to do this and something else has to go to give it the time. And even when you're retired, there can be many distractions. And, and if you have a husband, you know, he can, you know, he suggests doing this and that sounds a lot more, almost anything is easier than writing. So, <laughs> so you know, you, oh yeah, let's go on a, you know, hike or let's go on a bike ride. Or, yeah. And I, and I do those things too, though. I mean, you want to give priority to your health and to your social life and your family and you have to do that. So something has to give. And in my case, part of, sometimes it's sleep. Yeah. I, I in the last few books I've developed a new a new approach of when I especially on revision I think I can't remember or maybe infrastructure but like when I wake up in the morning sometimes early instead of lying around and kind of dozing off and on I actually will drag myself up and sit down and do it and I find those uh, couple hours before the day gets going before you get emails before things I can actually get a lot done during that day if you get that much under your belt and so yeah I'm kind of tired but I but I but I do it and if and if I didn't I I don't know that I would make the time between all the other things that that I do so I've started to take that approach although I have found that sometimes lying in bed and letting my mind drift gives me good imagination you know imaginary type thoughts you know and, and working out so that's a process too but I think maybe you just have to really commit yourself that writing is going to have a priority. And I know a lot of people who will, you know, they'll say, I'm too busy. I'm doing this and that and the other thing, but you have to give it its, uh, if it's time or you just won't get it done. Yeah. And what I found was adapting my office work routine in the morning when I worked to writing and, uh, it has become such a routine. Uh, we have too many schnauzers, and yeah. the older one that's eleven. It it blows my mind how routine animals can be. So it's I'm up at six. I don't need to be up at six, right? Yeah. But it's like I'm up at six. It's the walk. They get fed. I get up. I get ready. And the routine is so ingrained in them. And I know I'm repeating myself, but literally I get my my mocha, I make it home, I get my protein ball, I turn, and that older dog is then heading down the hall <laughs> to the office because yeah. he knows this is this is where we go in the morning. Yeah. This is where we hang out for you mm-hmm. know till around noon, right? Yeah. So it's that has worked for me, you know. So Okay, now you write in your book about a skateboarder skating through a museum. And I love it when authors do this because I had to look it up. Okay, <laughs> so I saw a video, I think it was October 2020, of a skateboarder and a ballerina at the Louvre. And I was wondering, are you writing about that incident or was there another incident you saw or? Learned of? Well, you know what? 
That's so funny that you bring that up. I don't recall hearing that incident. Where I got the idea from was from my husband's cousin's Christmas letter yeah. in 2020. And she talked about how her son, who was an artist, was had somehow managed to do some travel in Europe during COVID, even though none of us were traveling, but there's always a way. And she said, she said he skateboarded through the Vatican museums, which I used in the book. And uh, I didn't even, I didn't think of researching it to see if it really, if anybody really did that. And actually, well, anyway, I won't give away a spoiler, yeah. but um, yeah. And then, you know, your comment there makes me wonder though, like, did he make that up and just, he heard a story like that and just sort of appropriated it to himself. And I don't know, you know, I don't know. Or is, is this become an urban legend? But you saw a video of it. Yeah. So it, it didn't, it, it really directly came from that cousin's comment and that her son had done this. Yes. And so I thought that was, I thought that was so cool. So yeah. I, I had to put it somewhere in the book. Yeah, that is so yeah. cool. Because I've been to the Vatican museums and, you know, in a normal morning, it is jam packed. You can barely move. So, so it's so exciting. And the Louvre is the same. Yeah. So that it's so it's just so awesome and so descriptive to think of somebody actually being able to to do a skateboard through either of those places. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Now I get to ask you my fun question, which I haven't had the chance to ask before we move on to just a couple of last questions. If you bumped into Paula at Cycle Life, the best bike shop in Calgary. What would she say to you and what would you say back? The best bike shop? <laughs> we'll say it's the best bike shop. Well, uh, it's assuming I don't know Paula. I don't know if we're if I'm supposed to assume we're old friends, but assuming I don't know Paula, like I bought an e-bike at the start of the pandemic. So that's what gave me the idea for this story. And so say I'm in the bike shop picking up an accessory or something, and I see someone like Paula over there looking at e-bikes and she looks like an approachable person. And she's looking at bikes that I might like to upgrade to. Maybe I'd sort of sh shinny over there and we we talk about bikes and I tell her the things that I liked about my e-bike and that I didn't like give her and she could talk about her biking and we find out we both enjoy biking around the city. And we might say, oh, how about we get together and do some biking and let's exchange business cards. So I give her my and she gives her I give her my business card and she says, oh, you're a writer. What do you write? And I might say, well, Paula, <laughs> I write about you. Yeah. Yeah. There's a story be... for you. Yeah. See, and. <laughs> And the cover of this book is really cool because there is a yeah. cyclist. Yes. Right? In a silhouette. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, Boucheron 2026 is in Calgary. How can a person volunteer? Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to need lots of volunteers and we're start, we've got some already. We're starting with a lot of advanced work. So there's plenty to do, you know, leading up to the convention and there will be plenty to do there. We have a web, we'll be on the, we have a website okay. and you can find it just by Google, Googling BoucherCon in World Mystery Convention or even BoucherCon Calgary. But our website is sort of embedded within the main BoucherCon uh website because they have conventions every year in different locations so if you if you google butchercon world memory uh world mystery convention uh and then you would click on a button that says up there's a section upcoming conventions and then calgary 2026 we have a page and at the bottom of it you can sign you send your email address and we're creating a a list yeah. And eventually we'll reach out to people who are on, on that list. We're not doing it right away, yeah. but we would eventually reach out to people as we need volunteers for things. So that's a way to, to get your, your, at least you get on our radar there and okay. we'll, we'll be doing that. Um, if you really are keen on, on um, volunteering, uh, uh, you could find me on Facebook and send me and do, uh, you know, message me through messenger just okay. Susan Calder on Facebook, yeah. and I should show up. Or Susan Calder author, I have an author page too. Okay. Send me, a, you know, directly there, or my website, which is uh, susancalder.com. 
And I have a contact us page. Uh, you know, I'd say, you know, our next area that we're probably going to have to be work be working on is registration. And we're going to need people who like the idea of taking re registrations, keeping track of them. And the registration form, we'll be developing that for our website. They have input on developing it there. And, it, and on the form, there are lots of questions. You know, are you a writer? Are you a reader primarily? Uh, would you like to volunteer? Would you like to be on a panel? Different things like that. And the registrar will be compiling that information and perhaps sending it to the uh, usual places. So if you'd like to be, uh, you know, something involving the registration, it helps to be an organized person, I think. Uh, we'd probably especially like to hear from you at this point. Uh, yeah. So please get in touch with me directly through through those sources or uh at least in a more general way on our on our website. And you can also keep checking the, our website for updates because we're going to be quite quickly adding new pages and new information and maybe a more direct contact one where people can contact with questions. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll be contacting you guys because I Good. think this oh. is exciting. Yeah. Oh, we'd love to have you. Yeah. Good. Now, taking a little bit of a different direction here, I have to ask, I was on your blog, can you tell our listeners what it was like visiting the home of the famous Bronte family? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you, you like you that and read about that. Because this was this I did on a holiday this uh, June. We went to the UK and we went to this little town where the, the, the Brontes grew up. And their home where they grew up and has been turned into a museum. And it was just a fabulous day, really. I love read, uh, visiting writers' homes, the, particularly writers that I'm familiar with and, and like, and seeing the surroundings that they lived in to write their books or seeing how they grew up. And really, the Bronte Museum does both of these things very well because Jane and Emily, uh, uh, no, Charlotte, Jane is her character, Charlotte and Emily Bronte, who were the most famous sisters, and there's another sister, Anne. Well, they pretty much lived at home for most of their life, except for brief periods when they went off to be governesses and, and things like that. And even after Charlotte married, I think she lived there. So so their home was really their base, like it was their group, that place that grounded them. And and so the, the museum has a lot of interesting plaques throughout that describe their their life there and you can learn both about their lifestyle and their writing process too is is pretty much depicted you know in this like for instance in the they have the dining room set up the way it would have been when the children all lived there and they the plaques talk about how they would all they would all they all loved creating imaginary stories they were all a family like that and they fed off each other and i mean we were kids too. We'd play your imaginary games and they had their siblings doing that. And they would, you know, they would march around the table, you know, just spouting out their stories and brainstorming them and things like that. And that was their process of, of writing. And you could see how the, this sort of contained environment that they grew up in and the, and the four of them, because there was a brother who was very creative too, but he was more in the art area and he was more self-destructive. So okay. he didn't accomplish as much, but, but he was also very creative. You know, we, they would feed off each other, like the, yeah. the, the siblings and, and, you know, that, that very, that environment maybe nurtured them in, in, in a certain way. So it was something just really fascinating to see just as an interesting story. And, uh, you know, knowing, just to know that these people who had such an impact in, uh, in the writing world, how they, how they lived and how they came about. So I really enjoyed it. We were, Lucky to have a beautiful weather that day, not Bronte windstorms and, <laughs> and everything like that. And so we could walk on some of the moors or whatever where they walked. And although it really didn't feel gloomy and yeah. <laughs> windswept or anything, but uh, so I don't know if that gave us the mood, but uh, yeah. you know, it was obviously pleasant to be out in the sunshine and eating in the cafes. And the little town still looks like it's it's off a little bit like it was in its time so it was a lovely day just in pleasant pleasant but also just very very fascinating to learn about the, those writers and and their life very excellent museum 
it sounds like they almost had like their own in-house critique group. That's right. You know, right? it really gave me that feeling when I thought of them as brainstorming their stories. You know, somebody's spouting out their story and it's, it is like, uh, you know, trying it out with people. They were kind of a critique group with each other, I think. And, and I think at one point, um, I guess they self-published a little volume of poetry because Charlotte felt that Emily's was poems were really good. So she was like the critique partner who published this to support the other critique partner. Like they, wow. they did support each other in that sense too. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it really was. They were fortunate in that sense, but not so fortunate that they all died young. Yeah, yeah I was, it was reading a very that. sad story. My husband was with me, and he was mostly interested in that how tragic their family story was, and yet they, uh, you know, they accomplished so so much. And yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was so, good. Good. So spring into into danger is out now, right? People it is, can buy yeah. it every it, and. Everywhere yeah, it's about about a week. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Certainly, it's on Amazon and uh, and uh, Kobo because it's ebook and, and print as well. And yeah. probably bookstores could order it. You know, they could they, they could do that. And uh, good. Yeah. good, excellent. And our local stores, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any anything you'd like to add, Susan? You know, I really don't know. Well, I, you know, I enjoyed talking to you, of course, and uh, good luck with your story. And uh, ah. yeah, no, this has been really fun, I, you know, because we've touched on a lot of different areas, some to do with the book and some yeah. not to, you know, some to do with the broader range of, of things. So I've enjoyed that. Good, good. And people, I'm giving a plug. I'm launching Sam Magazine. August 31st, September 1st, wherever you live in the world, okay? And it's where I'm going to be featuring authors and artists. So please, I'll be checking, check the website. And I am going to be working on the Sam Magazine website this week. All right, Susan, thank you. Happy writing. Thank you, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.